Hey there, I'm Beverly Sartain, and this is the Holistic Coach Legacy Podcast, where you get support in being an impactful and confident coach. In today's episode, we are connecting with Heather Lowe from Ditch the Drink. We're going to be talking about how the inner critic impacts behaviors. Specifically, you will hear a lot about recovery and substances. If you're needing additional support, please reach out to Heather and see how she might be able to support you. We as coaches need to make sure that we take good care of ourselves. And sometimes we can have certain coping behaviors that we need to look at and decide what we want to do with. Thank you for being here. Enjoy. Welcome, Heather. Great to have you here with us today. Hi, Bev. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm thrilled to be sitting down with you. I know. The last time we were sitting down together was at the She Recovers in Chicago. We were at um, a booth. You were in a booth next to ours while we were at the conference. And this is how this podcast episode came about was we were chatting and I invited you to be here. And so I'm super glad that we're doing this today. I know. I loved it. I fell in love with you upon first meeting, of course, because you're so warm and so welcoming. And it was kind of funny because we both have uh, coaching programs and are both partners of She Recovers and we're both also both coaches ourselves. So it's just a beautiful story of connection. And we had all these things in common and just were fast friends. Yes, exactly. And I love about you, your your personality. I think you have just this incredible ability to connect with people instantly. And I know that this is part of what makes you really good at what you do and successful at what you do. And so, um, yeah, I'm just happy to be here and for us to share in, uh, these qualities together. So thank you. Yeah, I love it. I feel like Coaching for me has been this Venn diagram of like what you're good at, what comes naturally, what you love, what I love to do, what the world needs, and what you can get paid for. That's so good. Yeah. That's incredible. The way well, you just took me like 42 years to figure it out. <laughs> I, just, I tried a lot of different avenues first, right? Yeah. That's what I always say about coaching too is um, – I didn't actually really know all the things I was good at until I branched out and started my own coaching business. So coaching has really taught me a lot about skills and abilities. I didn't really know that I had while I was working for other people. And when I stepped into my own business, um, those things really came forward. So it's great to hear that you had a similar experience. Yeah, it's crazy because my bachelor's degree was in social work. So I've always had a heart for helping people. I quickly moved to human resources. So I did human resources. And then I moved to sales where I sold HR solutions. And so when I got sober myself in February of 2018, I didn't you know, after one year of sobriety, I was like, I, I was between jobs and I was like, I can't go back to these things. They never were singing my soul. And I was a top salesperson. You know, I did fine. I did fine at it, but it never was my heart song. So that's how I started my company, Ditch the Drink. But 
it was like the only, now it makes so much sense because it's like, I have the social work heart. I get to do this coaching and that I love. And also, you know, I recruit coaches and I train coaches and I train HR people about addiction in the workplace. So, um, and then as an entrepreneur, obviously sales and marketing is a huge part of your job, even if you don't want it to be. <laughs> if we have great offers, if we can't um, get our offers out into the world, we're not able to help. So it's just like, it, it's so unique that it uses everything in my background. My experience fits perfectly for what I do now. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to hear. So I heard you start to share a bit about your story and, you know, these different reiterations of yourself mm-hmm. that you have gone through over the years. Um, I'm curious if there's there's anything else that you feel you would like to share, because the listeners always like to hear a bit of the backstory. So I'm just curious if there's anything else you feel called to share. Sure. I mean, I'm happy to share any and all of it. So I'm smiling because I'm like, um, I like the word reinvention, like reinvent yourself. It just mm-hmm. reminds me of Madonna. So uh, <laughs> please put me in that category. <laughs> Which Madonna era are we talking about? <laughs> right. Um, but definitely material girl. <laughs> no, I, um, yeah. So my background, my, my drinking story is, I had my first drink when I was 12 years old and I was born and raised in Wisconsin. My parents met in a beer tent. And so um, years later, I met my husband in a bar. We've been married for over 20 years. So drinking culture in Wisconsin is very normalized. And I didn't, I mean, I probably knew two people that didn't drink and it was because they were alcoholics and it was like their hand was slapped and they were bad drinkers and they had to sit in the corner and never drink again and never go to the parties. But other than that, and the problem was with the people, not with alcohol. Um, alcohol was everywhere for everything. And my dad was a bartender. I say he took his work home with him. <laughs> so um, that's kind of my story of my background. Now, my parents divorced when I was young, very young, a toddler, like before I was three years old. And so I was the first child to divorce in both of my families and the only child between my mom and my dad. So I quickly, I wanted everybody and everything to be okay. One of my parents to be okay, my families to be okay. And I think at a very young age, I realized the way to do that was to be perfect myself. Because if I was perfect, then no one had to worry about me. Then no one had to worry about anyone. So I was polite and I got good grades and I um, sought love and approval and belonging everywhere I could um, just for that affirmation that we're all okay. Everything's okay. And um, later in life, both my parents remarried. I've got um, half siblings and step siblings and blended families and all of that. But in high school, I mean, alcohol gave me liquid courage, right? It gave me, um, the courage to walk into an upperclassman party that I may not have been invited to, (laughs) you know, courage to talk to boys. And it was a great outlet for my outgoing personality. I mean, I really relied on friends and friendships being an only child. And I love to have a good time. I love to party, total party girl. So that continued through high school, through college, met my husband, we moved to Chicago 
And then we were like young urban professionals and we had a little more money. I upgraded from um, like cheap beer to beer (laughs) or wine or cocktails. And we were going to um, Cubs games and we're going to dinner and having happy hour. And it was really fun for the most part. It was kind of like the college after college um, with other friends that we were meeting. And I had just always been a drinker. I knew I liked it more than most. And I knew my dad was an alcoholic. Now he quit drinking also when I was very young, um, not through any sort of program, but he never drank. So, um, you know, that was, it was like, but everybody else in my life drank. So again, it felt like it was a problem of his, um, and not a problem of alcohols and, um, drinking was just part of everything. So Mm -hmm. when I became a mom, I quit drinking through my pregnancies but my husband, we decided together that he would, that I would work part-time and he traveled a lot for work. Mm -hmm. So my social life came to a crashing halt when I had young children and it was lonely. My husband was gone. I was working part-time and obviously doing parenting full-time and which is what I wanted. And that bedtime, bath time, nighttime routine with the kids was long and lonely. And, um, I had a little bit of wine to help me through thinking that was me time, you know, a Mm -hmm. little, keeping a little something for myself and the mommy wine culture is rampant, you know, selling it like it was also normal and okay. And the thing to do. So I was a wine mom for sure. It wasn't until, um, my dad passed away unexpectedly. And then two of my friends that were my age passed away unexpectedly. And I did these three eulogies in three years. And that grief, mm-hmm. I start changed my drinking from what had looked normal for 30 years started to look sloppy. You know, my anxiety yeah. was really messing with my mental health. I was drinking alone. I was self-medicating my own grief because I had done the eulogies. I didn't allow myself to feel. I wanted to perform. I wanted to perform and really do a good job eulogizing the lives of people that I loved. And I did. I stood up in front of huge crowds and gave, you know, a beautiful talk. And then when the services were over, I told myself to get over it you know, and Mm -hmm. on. And so that, that created a big shift in me and that really ramped up my anxiety. And that turned me into, um, a walking blackout at times because now I had taken some anxiety meds. I went to a therapist who said, you don't have a problem drinking. You have a problem with anxiety. Even though I had told her I have a drinking problem. She Mm -hmm. said, no, you don't. Um, so she put me on meds where I could keep drinking. I was thrilled. I was like, mm-hmm. an actual substance use professional said I could keep drinking. So obviously I'm going to keep drinking. But the meds and the alcohol, you know, didn't mix. And yeah. so, yeah, so there was, um, yeah, so then it, I was not able to keep up this perfect image like I had had all this time. And it was starting to become more troubling. and. I really didn't want to let go of alcohol at all because that looked like a sad life to me. 
um, a sad life of deprivation. And that's not what I wanted. But that's all I saw. I didn't want to be the one with my hand slapped in the corner, not having fun or not getting invited to the party. Um, But I also couldn't deny that I was starting to not recognize myself anymore, Mm -hmm. feeling so Mm -hmm. confused. And so I did a series of on-off drinking uh, experiments, mostly to try to keep alcohol in my life to prove that I had no problem, of course. And um, I did that for three years. You know, I do 70, 70, my first experiment was 100 days and I made it to 70. And I thought, hallelujah, I'm cured now. You know, this is just the reset that I needed. And I went back to drinking. Um, At one point, I had gone five months alcohol free and then went back to drinking. So it was a series of exploration and evaluating, trying to figure this out, never with the end goal of getting sober, you know. And it wasn't until my last day one, that day in February, where I realized um, this isn't working. This Mm -hmm. drinking is not working for me. And I don't know if not drinking will work, but I have to give it a try. Yes. I have to give it an honest to God try. Like throw the kitchen sink in it, a real, real try mm-hmm. with my whole heart. And that's something I hadn't done before. Yeah. I totally have that same sentiment for myself. Um, when I got sober, it was like, I have to give this an all in try just to see if I can figure out how to live a different way. So I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Um, So for you, like I know one of the topics that you talk about is the inner critic, Mm -hmm. you know, which for me is like that mental level, the emotional level is incorporated there. But how was the inner critic showing up for you in your experience? My whole life, Bev, it was like everything I did and thought and felt was wrong. Hmm. that's wrong. And I don't know, I don't know where this came from. It it was, it's me to me. It wasn't an outside force. You know, I had so much love in my life and a mother that just absolutely adores me. Um, But like, you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. Like, you know, fear, like everybody's mad at you. You're doing everything wrong, like immediate shame. And like, um, no matter what I felt, I told myself not to feel that way. That was wrong. And um, so really the journey to sobriety for me was a journey of self-discovery. I started to get on my own page for the first time. Mm-hmm. I started to become my own friend for the first time. And I started to recognize that I wasn't the voice of the inner critic. I was the person hearing that voice. So mm-hmm. if I could hear it, I could start to change it. So that has been the biggest transformation for me is changing the voice in my head to a voice of compassion and curiosity instead of that loud, loud critic. That's beautiful. Yeah. Becoming the witnesser of the inner critic. Yeah. And not a judge. Um, Being mm -hmm. witness and not a judge. Yeah. The inner critic Um, for me was always like more shame, um, more guilt, more judgment coming in. Um, So when you work with people, what do you feel like are like one to three examples of how the inner critic shows up for people? Well, it's just so interesting because 
we, this is why our coaching is so invaluable to have somebody be a mirror to you, right? Or like a jar mm-hmm. that can't read its own label. Because, um, for instance, like even on a, like on a discovery call, um, like just a free 20 minute call, when I chat with somebody, um, I say like, have you ever, you know, done any, done any coaching in the past or, you know, what, what kinds of things have you done to get here? And they say, yeah, I did this 30 day program. And I say, okay, tell me about that. How, you know, what was that like? And how did it go? And they say, um, well, it didn't work. And I say, oh, what do you mean that it didn't work? Well, I'm drinking. Uh, And I say, okay, well, were you drinking during those 30 days? Oh no, I did that. I quit drinking during those 30 days. And I say, okay, well, it was successful then. And they're like, no, I'm a failure. I, you know, I haven't done it right. And I say, well, was your goal to quit drinking for the rest of your life? No. Well, what was your goal? My goal was to not drink for those 30 days. I'm like, wait a minute. Your goal was to not drink for those 30 days and you didn't drink for those 30 days and still you're calling yourself a failure because you didn't quit forever. <laughs> like <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Like it was a success and you did exactly what you set out to do. Now, if you want to change that goal or if you want to increase that goal or if you want to make a new goal now, you can definitely do that. But we don't even recognize what we've done well and we start to change the measurement of success no matter what. So it's completely unattainable. We keep moving the carrot, right? Yeah. (laughs) So even when we do something and we do it well, even when we knock it out of the park, even when we meet or exceed our own expectations, we don't see it that way. We still think we're wrong and bad and a failure. Mm-hmm. Another thing might be like a client might have a homework assignment where when they get home from work, instead of pouring a drink, they're going to take a walk around the block and listen to a podcast. Say, excellent. So then they come back and I say, that was their homework assignment, let's say. And I say, okay, how did it go? And they say, not very well. And I say, like, what? What do you mean? Tell me more. And they say, well, I, instead of having a drink, I put on a podcast and I walked around the block and I didn't drink, but I, I didn't really enjoy it. I was just going through the motions. I wasn't really happy doing it. (laughs) Again, I say like, wait, was the goal to be happy doing it or was the goal to to do it? (laughs) You know, how come you think people do that? Right. It's like you did it and, and still you're telling me, you know, you didn't do it. I say like this week, do you want to smile and be happy while doing it? Because certainly we can work on that, but you are, we're judging ourselves against like measurements of success that we didn't even set up or, you know, we can't even recognize when we meet it. So I think a coach who can focus on your strengths and start to recognize your joy and recognize your accomplishments and see your successes and repeat that back to you is, I mean, that positive help in looking at your strengths is so powerful and so important because we're so used to telling ourselves what we do wrong. And we're so used to beating ourselves up. And I say, if beating ourselves around the block worked, we would all have quit drinking by now because Mm -hmm. we've done it. We've done it. We've done it. We've beaten ourselves so bad for our drinking behavior. That doesn't fix it. But the self-compassion piece definitely does. So Mm -hmm. what's the shift? And then even um, when people tell me stuff, it's like, I just repeat it back to them, what they say in their mind. You know, I just say, I just literally repeat what they've just told me. And they're like, oh, that's pretty bad, huh? <laughs> you are literally just telling yourself you're it all day long. Like, how would you expect yourself to succeed 
when you're just mm-hmm. telling, punching yourself in the face and calling yourself stupid all the time. Like that's probably yeah. not that helpful. Mm-hmm. So for you, how do you feel like you started to make that shift with your inner critic? Well, I mean, a huge thing was quitting drinking and starting to keep my promises. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us can relate to saying we're not going to drink today when we wake up with a hangover. And probably after we have some coffee and something to eat by 10, 11 a.m., we're already wondering if we're going to stop and get something, you know, to drink at, you know, by three o'clock, we're itching for it. And by four o'clock, we've already had a drink, right? So even when we start the morning with the best of intentions, and then we just, we just fall short by the end of the day. So breaking promises all the time to myself certainly didn't help my confidence or self-esteem or self-compassion, but starting to, um, you know, show up for myself differently and go, yeah, this is hard. And yeah, I want to drink, but I'm going to try to do something different right now. That started to build my own faith and trust in myself by doing things differently. And when I would recognize what I was feeling, what I was desiring, the kind of feelings I wanted to jump ship on, I would say like, it's okay to be mad. You're not wrong for being mad. Maybe there's something to be mad at. And what do you want to do with this anger right now? Because you're not going to drink it down. So are you going to punch a pillow or call your mom or scream in the car to that song or, you know, stomp around the block? Like there's, I had to learn new ways to cope because I had started drinking so young, I didn't have any coping skills. Yeah. So I started Mm -hmm. to show up for myself with new coping skills that flexed my sober muscle little by little every day. But mostly when my head hit the pillow at night, it felt good to be sober another day. And when I woke up in the morning, I was like, you did it. You did it again. And you did it again. And nobody else has to understand this or know this, but you do. You know, it was like this beautiful, like secret I had with myself that I kept showing up for myself. When did you start to feel stronger in that? Mm, I mean, it's wobbly for a long time. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I mean, the whole first year, you have your little wobbly, like, deer legs. Like, you got, <laughs> right? Like, you, everything is terrifying. Yes, so, totally. I mean, it definitely, definitely takes practice. So, I wasn't a strong, confident voice. Um, I kept it very private, in fact. I only told my very inner circle when I was one year sober, I made a very casual Facebook announcement. Um, So that felt big to me. And I was like that meme of Beyonce planning in the shower, what that was going to look like on day two, (laughs) starting to draft it in my head. And it was just so casual, you know, like, but um, so, I mean, it it takes a year, but it's, it grows gradually and incrementally. And then like you, you do bigger and bigger flexes of your muscle, right? Like, um, you know, making it through this party or this holiday or this celebration in different ways, but it's not just ditching the drink. It's, it's setting boundaries, you know, it's showing up for yourself in a different way. And it, for me, it was learning who I am and what I like. I also thought I'm so extroverted. I love to party. I love to be around people and everything, but it turns out I was bored in a lot of circles. I was really bored. And so I was just drinking to entertain myself in some ways too. And when I was sober, it's like, 
oh, I don't have to drink to tolerate this because I don't have to do this at all. I can leave whenever I want because I have my own car and I'm capable of driving. Um, Although I don't love it, I like to say I don't drink or drive. (laughs) I'm not going to be Uber just because I'm sober. Like I really don't like to drive. So I don't drive most people. I'll drive myself if I have to. But it's like I don't even have to go. I can say no to going or I can just be there for a half an hour and say, this isn't for me. I'm leaving. You know, I don't have to like drink to make it fun or anything like that. I can hear like the empowerment that happened for you um, and just being clear about your own agreements with yourself. So let me ask you this, Heather, like what is your self-talk like now? Mm, Yeah. Well, first of all, like with the drinking thing, now I'm loud and proud. I'm like, at a restaurant at the end of the table and I'll go, Oh, I don't drink alcohol. What options? <laughs> and it's, I love it. It's my superpower. I mean, I love to say, Oh, I don't drink. Even when I meet new people and they can wonder, like, I don't care what they think about me. I think it's like one of the best parts about me. It makes me predictable and safe and um, with it. And you can see I'm truly having more fun than anyone. And I never have to worry about losing my wits about me, but those loud critical thoughts, they're still there, you know, the, the desperation to please and the hope that nobody's mad at me. <laughs> That's all there still running in the background a little bit. But, you know, I just remind myself that it's up to me to take care of me. And my opinion is the one that matters most. And I'm not for everyone. I change the expectations. Like, that's okay if not everyone likes me. That's okay if not everyone agrees with me. They don't have to. You know, they can swim in their own lane and think their own thoughts, but I've just, um, I let myself be who I actually am. And it does take a lot of self-talk sometimes. I mean, hopefully it's becoming easier, but when I start to recognize that I'm trying to be who I think I should be, I go, well, how are you actually feeling? Not, you know, what you should be feeling about this, but how are you actually feeling? Because it is right. However you're feeling is right. Like feelings aren't right or wrong. They just are. So the fact that this emotion or this feeling is here means you can feel it to, to heal it and to move through it. Right. So it's journaling, you know, a lot, a lot of journaling every morning, talking to myself through my journal about how are you feeling and what do you need and how does this feel? And my journal is full of swear words at everything. <laughs> you know? I mean, just fancy. It's me mad at the world, right? So it's nice for me to hear myself, though. Yes, I hear that. I hear like you really present and available. Yeah. To you. Yeah. yeah. And the feelings, the thoughts, the behaviors, you know, whatever is there. Yeah, instead of sweeping it under the rug or shoving it down, or I always say like the stuffing creates the suffering, right? Feeling mad isn't a problem. Feeling mad and not allowing yourself to feel mad is starting to create a volcano that's going to erupt inside, right? But if you can just navigate like, I'm mad right now. Okay, what do you want to do about it? You know, what options do you have? to? Ex- maybe you need to express yourself. Maybe you need to get it out physically. You know, I have lots of options now. But it's listening to what I'm actually thinking and feeling versus what I think I'm supposed to be. And it's allowing whatever is without judging if that's wrong. Beautiful. Well, what a beautiful journey you've been on. I can hear the self-discovery and getting to know more of who you are and sharing that 
with others from this really unapologetic place is what I always hear and receive from you. And I love that about you. Um, so for, for our listeners, like what is something that you might want to share with them? Mm, well, first of all, if anybody is still struggling with um, alcohol or any substances or addictive behaviors, it's like my biggest fear was that I wasn't going to have friends and I wasn't going to have any fun. And that is so far from the truth. Um, the biggest surprise is like sober travel is the freaking best. It is more fun than I've ever had on any all-inclusive anything. And I've met more people and more friends. Like I always thought about what I was losing by ditching the drink. But the truth is I never looked up or thought about everything I would gain. And look at my friendship with you. I mean, here's a perfect example of something really beautiful that I never could have expected. So if you're struggling, know that there's so much beauty that you can't imagine on the other side if you keep going. And then it's true. Yeah. I also like just just to jump in. I think it's also because other sober people are also present and available. So there's a different connection. There's a deeper connection that happens when two healthy or present available people are coming together again to lift each other up, to share in joy together, to share in passion together. It's it's just a different quality of experience, I think. Totally. And there's so much mutual admiration and respect and understanding for what we've been through, right? Like we know, even without words, we know if you've overcome this, you know, there's just a, there's a really big bond there immediately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But for me, if you're interested in the, the kinds of things that I, that I share, you can go to my website, ditchthedrink.com. And I love to write. So I have a pretty extensive blog you can read. I loved reading other people's experiences. That really helped me in the beginning. And I have lots of options. I have a digital course. I have one-on-one coaching. I have an insider community membership that has an app. We do calls twice a week. So if you're looking for community, I've got people that are struggling to get to day one. And I have people that are over three years sober. So there's a wide variety of, of folks in there that can help and lift you up. So I think that's really beautiful. I have a free sober secrets guide and a free little coaching video. I think everybody should at least download that. Um, also, yes, if you're interested in um, becoming a coach or a credential coach or something like that, I partner with the International Association of Professional Recovery Coaches. Mm-hmm. And I also also have a business course for coaches, which I know you teach that all in your training. Um, some trainings don't. Some trainings just teach like the coaching part. So if anyone's interested in the business end, yeah, I've got a course on that, a course and community on that too. Yeah, I love that. So many different things. You're You're really talented in a lot of different areas. I'm curious for you, like, what is your favorite thing to do out of all the different skills that you have? Yeah, we'll see. So I really, really, you know, I, I love it all. And it makes sense because I'm like scattered and I like a variety. (laughs) I love to start projects and not finish. Like I'm all, you know, so for me to like love a lot of things, but um, holding people's hands through early sobriety is my favorite, favorite thing. Like sitting, sitting in the hole with them and Mm. holding my hand out and, starting to pull them along little by little and then healing the generations up and down. So 
when mothers tell me their stories, when daughters tell me their stories, a lot of my clients are mother daughters. And so I love that. I love healing the generations. I think that's so beautiful. The hardest part for me in sobriety was finding community, to be honest, because I was resistant to it. And so I really love my insider membership because when I found community, it was like, oh my gosh, this makes everything so much easier. Why was I doing it the hard way? I can have people to do this with me. You know, it's so much better together. So I love leading that. And then um, coaching and coaching coaches, it's like, I'm a huge, huge fan of coaching and the transformation. Coming from a yeah. social work background, it's just like coaching is so transformative and I'm so biased, but I am the biggest fan of coaching in general. Me too. So, <laughs> Me too. Um, I feel the yeah, same. It's just, I mean that. That's not a commercial for anything. Like, <laughs> really believe in coaching. So, um, you know, helping with that too. I'm sort of growing into that piece, but um, I, I'm a huge fan of coaching in general. So yeah, all of it. Lovely. Lovely. So when you think about like your legacy of loving, that you're creating through all the things that you're doing? Like, what are you hoping to, you know, create and leave behind? Well, um, I mean, I love all my clients and it's changed their lives and the lives of their children. So I think that's beautiful. I, mm -hmm. but mostly we want to help ourselves, even though we want to help others, we also want to help ourselves. So this to me changing the generate the alcohol and the generations and changing the story of that. Um, like my godmother was one of those that had to sit in the corner and she has taken my courses and I wish this was available to her in the seventies. I wish mm -hmm. there was a new take on sobriety. I want to change the conversation that it's not sad to let go of alcohol. It's like the most beautiful thing you can do. And I think day by day, that message is definitely getting out there, but I know for a fact I've changed it for my children. So for my daughters, they, alcohol is not normalized, right? And they're not growing up the same way I did. So that really, really matters to me. And just sharing our stories, sharing our stories heals. And we know from the She Recovers conference and from being She Recovers coaches, how impactful it is to share our stories. So I hope yeah. to publish um, a longer form piece of writing of sharing, of sharing stories. Thank you for that. And I didn't mention this before, but it's coming up for me right now is today is the 20 year death anniversary of my dad. And he died from cirrhosis of the liver from his drinking. And so um, as a child, I always just wanted him to get better. Mm -hmm. And he never did. And so I honor you for being a mom, a parent that was able to get better. I, I honor my dad. That was just part of his journey. And I totally receive and accept that now. But thank you, like from a child that wanted their parent to get better. I'm really happy that you were able to do that for you and your family, because I think that's a really special gift to give your kids. How do you receive that? Thank you. I mean, know that you're making me cry. <laughs> you can't see the tears, but thank you. Yeah. It's, um, to me, the most meaningful thing that a parent could do is to change their behaviors and learn how to be present and available to themselves and to their children. So I think it's a wonderful legacy that you're leaving and that you're working on. 
I'm yeah. actually tomorrow I'm going to, there's an alcohol free brewery by me. And so I'm going to see some live music there. And every time I'm there, I wish my dad was behind the bar. I think my dad would have been a really rad alcohol free drink slinger. <laughs> <laughs> Party guy and a social guy. And, um, it's actually the anniversary, not of his death, but of his, um, I just got my Facebook memory of his services. So that's really serendipitous that we're connected with our yes. and their drinking problems on yes. day when we record this. Um, I know. But yeah, so that didn't happen for my dad, but I could see him there and I wish it would. And, you know, it's, it is happening for me and it's looking different exactly. for my kids. Yeah. And I, I felt that way too, like. Um, it wasn't part of his spiritual curriculum to, to have that growth or healing, but it was part of mine and it was part of yours. And, you know, and my hope is always that we could be the chain breakers for our families. So I'm happy that we were both able to do that. We're doing it, girl. Yeah. And just thank you for being such a bright light. Like, honestly, you know, just sitting next to somebody at a conference in a booth doesn't mean you're going to connect with somebody and feel very connected to them. And you you really made me feel that way. And I'm so glad that our friendship and our connection continues. Me too. Thank you so much, Bev. Anything else you want to say in closing or are you feeling complete? I feel complete. I think this was really super beautiful. And I love the unexpected ending. So yeah, me too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, for anybody that's listening, if you are struggling in any way and you feel like you want to reach out to Heather, please, please do so. If you're getting that nudge, I always encourage to follow the nudge and just check out Heather and what she's doing. She's clearly a, a bright light. Um, and again, we want to collaborate. We want to build community with people. And if you're feeling called to that, reach out. Thank you for being here. Thank you. If there's only one thing to take away from today's episode, it's to keep taking care of yourself as the coach and to break the stigma that as a helping professional, we are not supposed to have anything wrong with us or that we're working on or that we're working through. My message is always, you know, that we holistically continue to look at ourselves resolve what needs to be resolved, and please know that there are people out there who want to support you through whatever challenges you might be facing. Thank you so much for being here.